calling all aspiring investment professionals. Get a leg up on the competition. Final registration for the August CFA exam ends on May 14th. Register now to secure your spot. The CFA designation is of gold standard in the investment world, opening doors to high-powered careers and impressive salaries. Head over to cfainstitute.org to register. Don't wait. Take control of your finance career today. Welcome to another edition of Take 15 at the CFA Institute. My name is Greg Seals. I'm Director of Fixed Income and Behavioral Finance. Today we're very pleased to have Paul Travers joining us. Paul is a Principal and CLO Portfolio Manager at DA Capital here in New York. And Paul has over 20 years of experience in the leveraged or bank loan market. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for being with us nice, today. Nice to be here. Great. Um, well, since you've been uh, involved in the leveraged loan class, essentially since its inception, maybe you could tell us a little bit about the, the evolution of uh, this asset class and some of the key features of the asset class as it's evolved. Sure. It, it, it really has been an evolution. Uh, I've been around the loan space for almost 30 years, uh, and um, I, I think the way to best describe the evolution is that it, it really is a process of risk sharing. Uh, if you think back about loans 25, 30 years ago, loans were typically made in what we call a bilateral arrangement. That was an arrangement specifically between the borrower and the lender. And that worked fine until you got to the point where the volume and the size of loans got to the point where it was just too much for any one bank to hold. So the banks decided through their risk, uh, risk management departments to create a strategy to deal with that and they created something called loan syndication. What's interesting about loan syndication is it originally started between the banks, where bank A would be lending to borrower A, and bank B would be lending to borrower B. And then what they would do is exchange some portion of their exposure, thereby mitigating the risk to any one borrower, and in fact diversifying their portfolio. So it created a, a risk diversification. And that worked quite well, until we got to the point where each of the banks realized that that wasn't enough. They needed to go further. They needed to find other ways to diversify their risk. So that created the opportunity for new entrants into the market. And before I get to the entrance, I should ex explain to you that the loan syndication process really is not much different than the process that uh, investment banks use to diversify their risk as it relates to underwriting of bonds and equity. It's really the same sh sort of risk sharing. When you look at the new entrants, as we move down the timeline, the first was the mutual funds. What's interesting about mutual funds is it was the first time it offered retail investors an opportunity to invest in an asset class that they did not have access to. Uh, in fact, as part of my career, I managed almost $10 billion uh, at one of the larger mutual fund uh, complexes. There are several today, and they represent a good portion of the loan market. More importantly, though, I think, was the advent of the CLO. And we'll talk lots about the CLO, but I think what's most important to understand is that what drove all of this was the growth of the LBO. The LBO created huge appetite from the borrower side for loans. Mm -hmm. Loans represent about 75% of a typical capital structure with bonds and equity being behind them. So the loans are the, the, the centerpiece, if you will. And with the banks being sort of exhausted in terms of their exposure limitations, mm -hmm. the mutual funds came around, and then the CLOs. 
What's most interesting about CLOs, I think, is that they have created an opportunity, and we'll talk a little bit more about it later, but they've created an opportunity for a whole series of institutional investors to get involved and to pick and choose where they want to be sort of at, at the risk, the risk within the loan structure. So I think that was a, a huge element there. One of the things I think that's sometimes misunderstood about the loan asset class is that it's remarkably liquid. It, again, if you go back to the old process where a bank would make a loan and would hold it, then we move to a bank syndicating some portion of it. Today, the underwriting bank often holds as little as 5% of the loan. So that means 95% of that underlying loan has been distributed to third parties, mm -hmm. mutual funds, CLOs, and today hedge funds. Mm -hmm. All three require some level of liquidity. In fact, as the mutual fund evolved, as the CLO evolved, and then the hedge fund, that demand for liquidity has only increased. Mm -hmm. So it used to be that loans traded in increments of as, as, as only as small as $5 million. Today you can trade as small as half a million. Mm -hmm. So it's created the opportunity for managers, whether they're mutual fund managers, CLO managers, or hedge fund managers, to actively manage their portfolio. And that, I think, is what's interesting for the ultimate investor. These are not by any means static portfolios. Mm -hmm. And I think it creates, the loan asset class creates tremendous opportunity. Let's talk a little bit more in a broader perspective about where bank loans, um, where you think they fit in a diversified portfolio. You know, talking about where they lie in the capital structure versus uh, high sure. yield debt and sure. um, how they might, um, how investors might think of them in their portfolio. If I could, I'll start with the back end. Um, typically, the loan asset class has been looked at as what one might call the alternative investment. Why? Because it doesn't fit neatly, at least in most investors' minds, it doesn't fit neatly in the fixed income or the equity spheres. Mm -hmm. I look at it a little differently. I look at the loans as part of fixed income. It's a debt instrument. Mm -hmm. It's not an equity instrument by any means. It has liquidity features similar to bonds. It's syndicated similar to bonds. Um, it has the, uh, I would say, the characteristic of being an investment where one is looking to avoid losses as opposed to making large gains. Mm -hmm. It's much more of a defensive strategy than a typical equity investment. So I think y you have to start there. You have to start with the asset class um, as part of fixed income. And if you do, then the question is, well, okay, how much of my fixed income portfolio should be in this asset class? That, that'll range depending on your risk-reward appetite. Historically, this asset class has had a significantly lower risk-reward uh, characteristic than the equities, and even less so than high yield. And I differentiate high yield from high grade because high grade is very much more uh, driven by interest rates. Mm -hmm. uh, high yield is much more a credit product. So when we look at the loan asset class, we compare it much more so to the high grade, I'm sorry, to the high yield and the high grade. Interesting couple of facts for you, and I don't want to bore you with facts, but the risk-reward uh, makeup of the loans versus the bonds is very clear. It's very compelling. Why is it compelling? It's, it's compelling because loans sit at the top of the capital structure. They're the first to get paid out, and they're typically secured. Mm -hmm. So you have a claim on the company's assets. So when there is a default, and the default would occur throughout the capital structure, so that means the loans and the bonds would suffer a default, and that typically means the company can't make its debt payments. The ultimate recovery, as described and analyzed for years and years, over 30 years by S&P, tells us that historically, loans have collected 82% of their original par value. 
where high-yield bonds or unsecured bonds have collected as little as 38%. So you see, to my argument earlier, this is a tremendous way to, to kind of manage your downside risk. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, again, to kind of repeat myself, this is where you can fit um, a subset. You can create this as a subset of your fixed income. And your fixed in income, of course, might include your high grade, your high yield, and, and lastly, your loans. The one other thing that's really interesting about this uh, that should not be overlooked is that it's a floating rate product. So when you're looking at a situation like today where I think virtually everybody believes interest rates are prone to move up rather than down over the near to medium term, this provides an incredible opportunity in that you will benefit. As an investor in the loan class, you will benefit from the increasing rates, whereas in the fixed income world, you typically will see the price of your investment go down as rates move up. So it's a nice balance within fixed income. So it, it, it's something that I find uh, quite exciting, especially in this environment where you have interest rates uh, almost definitely going to rise over time. Great. Um, what about um, the future of the, the loan asset class going forward, you know, in the aftermath of the credit crisis? And if you could also um, touch on um, CLOs and distinguish CLOs from asset-based CDOs, uh, which experienced so many problems during the uh, during the credit crisis, and what you you know what you think about the uh, rebuilding uh, of that market, the CLO market, um, uh, in the years to come. Sure, I, I am very excited. Now, uh, of course, that might sound a bit self-serving, but um, I've seen the cycles. I, I lived through the cycle in the in the late 70s. I lived through the cycle in the 80s. Uh, we witnessed what happened in 2002 and 2003 and then we've lived through what was probably the worst of all of them. And, and, I, and I, I hope that when I'm done I can get you comfortable that the asset class has performed pretty much as expected. Um, I would start with my expectation is that the economy will improve. As the economy improves that's generally good for all investments, specifically for fixed income. That will probably lead to lower defaults, it will probably lead to higher recoveries on those defaults um, as the general mac uh, macroeconomics improve. I think what's also important to, to, to kind of think about is that uh, the private equity shops have an incredible amount of, uh, as I would call it, dry powder, waiting to make those next large investments. Those investments are going to need financing. That's how the private equity shops earn their return. Mm -hmm. They need the loans. The loans are the most interesting aspect of the capital structure for them because they are the cheapest form of financing. Right. So I think you'll see that the financing markets, as the economy improves, as the private equity shops try to put money to work, that will fuel the growth or the regrowth of the loan market. And I think it's fair to say that given where banks are, given where insurance companies are, um, even given where hedge funds are, my belief, my strong belief is that the CLOs will be the predominant player. Mm -hmm. Historically, go back to 2007, the CLOs were the buyers of over 70% of the leverage loans. I don't think that's an anomaly. I think we'll see something very similar. So I think there will be tremendous demand from the CLOs. There will be plenty of, uh, of capacity from them. Mm -hmm. There will be plenty of loans to be bought. The question is, can we bring the investors back? Mm -hmm. And I think that the answer to the question is they will come back. They will come back as credit spreads on the underlying uh, financing of CLOs improves. And, and I, I want to talk a little bit about that. But I do want to point out first that it's really important to separate CLOs from the other structured products. If you look at how the CLOs have performed over the last two years in particular, 
Um, while we certainly saw the prices and the value of the structured product notes that were issued by the CLOs uh, drop in price quite dramatically, they didn't drop anywhere near as much as in, for instance, the uh, residential mortgage. And on the flip side, as the market has improved, we've seen a dramatic improvement compared to those markets. Mm -hmm. So I think investors have been, to some extent, rewarded mm -hmm. for if they were to be patient with the CLOs and the loan space. You think there's more comfort with the ratings process, possibly, or just the longevity of the asset class, or maybe some, some of both that contribute to that factor? You know, I, I, I hate to be critical of the rating agencies. They've, they've certainly taken their share of lumps. But I think what will happen in the future is investors will be more cognizant of understanding the underlying risk and making their own determination as opposed to relying too heavily on the rating agencies. Mm -hmm. I think the rating agencies will be involved. I think they have to be involved. Um, I think they've taken too much criticism as I think too many investors were willing to make investments based solely on ratings. Uh, that's not fair. I mean, the rating agencies, uh, it's an opinion. You know, they'll tell you again and again and again, it's an opinion, it's not a statement of fact. Right. Um, so we're all paid to make credit or investment decisions, not to rely entirely on on the rating agencies. So I think I think we'll find we'll find our footing again. You know, mm -hmm. it will take some time. It's not going to happen immediately. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable that we might see some some uh, new issuance of CLOs this year. Mm -hmm. I think 2011 could be a terrific year for us. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel I feel it percolating. I, I feel uh, excitement's probably too strong a word, but I certainly feel a buildup of confidence. You know, and there's a couple of points I just want to make there. I talked. I, I want to make this clear. Um, there are many, many AAA tranches of uh, RMBS transactions that have lost near all of their principal investment. Right. I'm not aware, and I'm not, I'm not making this statement of fact, but I'm not aware of a single AAA in the loan space that's ever lost a penny of its principal. Mm -hmm. That's a tremendous distinction to make. Right. Um, you know, as, as I look at the CLOs, if I could sort of narrow it down, I, I would say that the investment thesis is, is pretty simple. and, and, and the reason it makes sense going forward, I kind of put it into a, a, a three-prong attack here. This is, or four if you will. One is, this is a, an a, access to an asset class that is not easy to get into. Mm -hmm. Two, by their very nature, the CLOs create a very highly diversified portfolio. And why is that important? Remember, if you think about the risk-reward spectrum, if equity is to the far end mm -hmm. and loans is to the opposite extreme, diversity is hugely important. You know, if you look at a, a mutual fund, many mutual funds uh, are based on taking large positions. The CLO is restricted from doing that structurally. The, the underlying documents require that the manager have a very high diversity portfolio. What does that mean? It simply means if the manager has made a mistake or if something unforeseen were to happen to a small number of his portfolio investments, it would have a non-material effect on the negative side. So that's, that's hugely important. Right. Uh, e even if the manager is a smart fellow or gal, the structure will limit his ability to take big bets. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important if you're looking for a lower risk, lower reward investment. Mm -hmm. The second thing I would talk about is the tranches. Remember again here that in the CLO world, the investor chooses where he wants to be in the structure. Mm -hmm. In a mutual fund or a hedge fund, all investors are treated the same. Right. They all share in the losses equally. In the CLO world, you have tranche debt from AAA down through typically double B, and then you have a first loss tranche that we refer to as equity or subordinated notes. Right. And, and without getting into too much detail, it's, just, it's sort of like a waterfall, whereas the equity tranche takes every bit of loss until that's been exhausted. Mm -hmm. And then you move up through the tranches. 
So the likelihood, as I said earlier, the likelihood of losing any money in the triple A's is, is significantly lower. So if you want to be in the asset class and you're looking for a very low, lower rate of return but a lower risk profile, you want to be higher in the capital structure. And if your view is to be a little bit, take a little more risk on, you want to be lower in the capital structure. Can I drill down just a little bit more on that point with you? Sure. Because I think investors in RMBS would have said the same thing, yep. right? They thought they were buying something yes. at the AAA or AA level yes. that was very low. So can you, you know, sort of hone in a little bit more on, was it the nature of an asset-based um, structured product where you've got an asset that's overvalued in the case of residential housing or commercial real mm -hmm. estate for that mm -hmm. matter, versus can you contrast that, the nature of that um, security or payout um, of, of an asset-based um, structured product right. versus, uh, versus a, a corporate credit instrument sure. such, as a, such as a loan? Sure. I think I'm not an expert on valuations of, of, of residential mortgages or commercial mortgages for that, for that matter. I think what's more important to understand is that within the asset class, within any given portfolio, one of the underlying risks that's I think often overlooked is the correlation mm -hmm. among the underlying investments. Mm -hmm. If you stop and think about the mortgage deals that were done in 06, 07, yeah. to a large degree, the underlying mortgages were being underwritten in California, Florida, Texas, Nevada. So, so you had tremendous correlation among those assets. Mm -hmm. So when something went wrong in, in any one of those particular geographic regions, it touched on a huge percentage of the underlying portfolio. Right. There wasn't necessarily fundamental credit work done on either one either. It was based on credit scores. Right. So again, when the whole world changed, those, credit, those underlying credit scores changed, and they all changed. Right. Whereas in, in the loan space, if the manager is doing his job, he's actually doing fundamental work on each company in each industry. To put it in perspective, most CLOs are invested across 35 or 40 industries. So while I would never argue that they don't have some correlation, in sure. a difficult environment, almost all industries are going to suffer. Right. The question is to what extent. Right. So if you had some exposure to real estate, it was probably 2 or 3% of your portfolio. Right. If you had exposure to the auto space, again, it was probably 2, 3, 4% of your, of your total exposure. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a huge benefit in having within the portfolio as little correlation as possible. And, and I, I really would say that that's something that should never be overlooked. Mm -hmm. I think those who are in the, C, in the CLO space have come to understand and appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I think for those who are invested across all CDOs, mm -hmm. we will see the first recovery because I think all of, all of what we've talked about today is recognized by those who have taken the time to differentiate. So right. I, I remain quite optimistic. I, I really do. I think that we could have a very, very uh, interesting year uh, in 2011, and I think with a little bit of luck, uh, we could see a, a nice sort of ramp up as we get through the end of this year. That's great. Thanks so much for your time and your thoughts, Paul. Great. Thank we you. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. And thanks for joining us again for another episode of Take 15 of the CFA Institute. Copyright 2010 CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical, recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.